ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and show us what you would like us to see from this section of scripture. We just love what you have given us, that you've given us who you are and how to follow you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 30, we're still looking at Hezekiah's revival. Remember, he came into power within 16 days of uh, taking his position. He had cleaned up the temple and they started sacrificing. And that was what we were last looking at. They started the Passover uh, on the second month, which was the month for the unclean sacri- uh, uh, part of it. And everybody's been enjoying this so far. And they're starting to clean up the idols. So starting at verse 10. So the post p- passed from city to city through the county, the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even into Zebulun. But they laughed them, them to score and mocked them. Nevertheless, divers of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart and to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. So here we have, remember, Hezekiah is not just, he's king over Judah, which is Benjamin and Judah, but he sent the invitation to come worship God to all 12 tribes. And it says here that Ephraim and Manasseh and Zebulon laughed him to scorn. They're like, why are we going to come down there? We've been worshiping our idols for this long. Why would we come there? But he did get people from <coughs> uh, Asher and Manasseh that took it, took it serious. So he invited everybody to come, and some listened. And it's kind of like that we are supposed to do with the gospel. We're to invite everybody to come, and many might just laugh us to scorn like... like uh, was done to, to uh, Hezekiah, and some might listen. And our job is just to minister to all people and give the invitation. And so verse 13 says, And there assembled in Jerusalem such people that uh, to keep the feast of the unleavened bread in the second month, a very great congregation, and they rose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars of incense took they away, and cast them into the brook Kidron. There, then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests of the Levites were ashamed and sanct- sanctified themselves and brought in burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received by the hand of the Levites, For there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had the charge of the killing of the Passover for everyone that was not clean to sanctify them unto the Lord. For the multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet they did eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon everyone that prepared prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his father, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. So here's a really beautiful thing that's going on. It says, they're assembled in Jerusalem 
a great congregation, a great multitude. Now, you've got to remember that what is supposed to happen on Passover is every male of Israel is supposed to come to Jerusalem on, for Passover and two other, two other feasts every year. So even though it's a great, pa- a great congregation that's coming, it is not the right number of people. All right, so they're, they're still, even though they're making a commitment to follow God, they're not doing it wholeheartedly. But Hezekiah is seeing a great revival amongst the people. And it says in verse 14, And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars of incense took they away and cast them into the brook Kidron. Remember, a couple weeks ago we were talking about how before Hezekiah took over, his father had built temple, uh, built altars to all the other gods. And it says on every corner in Jerusalem was an altar. So this was a really bad situation. Jerusalem had fallen so much under Hezekiah's father that there were altars everywhere. You couldn't walk down the street without seeing altars to every other god out there. And this is God's city that this was happening in. The place where you would never expect this. Uh, remember when Paul was preaching on Mars Hill, he looked around and, and they had altars on every corner of Mars Hill. And he said, I perceive that you are a godly people because you are seeking after these got many, many gods. And then he worked his way through his message. Here, he could have said the same thing in Jerusalem. I see that you're not following God, but you are looking for God. Look at all these altars everywhere. And we need to be careful in our own life. Do we put altars to other gods in our own life? This is what the Jews were doing. Let's put altars to every god that's out there, and we'll find one that will answer our, answer our prayers. And this is pretty much what they would do. They would... Uh, well, before Hezekiah, they didn't have the temple. Remember, they had nailed the temple short, shut. They had closed the doors and, and sealed them short, shut so that nobody could get in. And they're worshiping every other god but God. And so now the people are coming together to worship God. And there's a righteousness that comes in. And I'm not sure where this righteousness came from, but God got hold of people's hearts. And they looked around Jerusalem and saw all these altars, all these incense altars, all these altars, and what they did was destroyed them and got rid of them and say, this is not right. And this is for us even as Christians. Do we allow all the things that go on in the world around us without saying anything about it? Now, we can't do a whole lot on many cases, but are we silent when given the opportunity to say anything, or do we say this is wrong. According to God, this is wrong. Not in a judgmental form, but God, when God, when we look around and they're saying, well, we want homosexuality to be okay. We want abortion to be okay. We want this to be okay. We want that to be okay. Do we just keep our mouth shut and just let things happen the way they're going to go? Or do we say something and just say, God calls this sin? Now, that's going to get us in trouble. Believe me, it's going to get us in trouble unless there's a revival that goes along with it. But where are we with this? You know, where are we when we come to people and say, 
this is not right. And this goes everything. There is so much going on in our world, in our country, that people accept and just don't say a word against. And even in churches, it, it's oftentimes they're afraid to call things sin. They're afraid to, to make any decisions that are going to make people upset. And it started long ago, you know, back in the 60s and, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, when they didn't call fornication sin and all the things it did. And it's only getting worse as we look around and see all the sin that's running rampant in our, in our country. And the sad thing is it's running rampant in our churches. And because sin is not being called out as sin. Yeah, it's not even being called. There are churches that won't even mention the word sin because they don't want anybody to get upset that God has standards. Because if we are judging everybody for what they're doing, then we're not ministering to them the gospel message. And the gospel is more important than all these little minor, minor things, even if they're living in sin. My, my job is not to get them out of their sin. My job is to get them committed to Christ and then Christ can get them out of their sin now if I'm asked I'm going to tell them no this is a sin you know this is wrong God calls it a sin it gets me in trouble with some people at work every once in a while when they'll when they're to ask me what do I think about something they're going to get the truth this is what God says about it and if they don't like it that's tough it doesn't matter to me they asked now will, will I bring that up with them no my goal is to say we all need Jesus and we all have sins in our life that, you know, you know because I've been asked several, well, how do, you, how do you convince somebody who's a homosexuality that homosexuality is a sin? I go, who cares? Ultimately, I don't care if they believe that homosexuality is a sin or not because they lie, they steal, they, 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 they commit adultery in their mind. They, they've got plenty of sins. And if I convince them that they're a sinner in need of Christ and they come to Christ, he can convince them that... The rest of the stuff is where they need to be. Now, am I going to tell them it's okay to be a homosexual? No. Am I going to tell somebody it's okay that you live together outside of the bonds of marriage? No, that's a fornication. There's certain things I'm going to say, no, it's not okay. This is sin, but not in a judgmental way. Just this is sin. So they got rid of all these altars that were all over Jerusalem. After they did all this, it says in verse 3, then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. The priests and the, um, and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. Basically here it says they were confounded. Remember, they have not been able to do things in the temple for decades. And all of a sudden, there's Hezekiah is saying, get in here, get the temple cleaned up, get it organized Offer your sacrifices and get concentrate, consecrated. And I don't believe they believed this many people were going to show up. That nobody's been to church for decades and all of a sudden they're everywhere. They're tearing down the temple, the, the, the altars. They're tearing down everything. And they're saying, we are going to worship God. And there's an amazement even by the spiritual leaders. Look at what is happening. And... Remember, this is all happening on the second month on the 14th day. Now remember we talked about last week that the actual date of the Passover is on the 14th day of the first month. 
But they had missed that. They weren't, they weren't, the temple hasn't been cleaned up by then. The priest hadn't sanctified themselves. And Hezekiah says, it is important that we practice the Passover. We're going to do the Passover like we're supposed to. So we're going to do it in the second month. We're going to do it on the, on the same day. And the second month was when Moses said, if you're unclean on the first month, you sanctify yourself and, get, and practice Passover on the second month. But here the entire nation is going to practice on the second month. Why? Because they were unclean. The priests were unclean. They weren't sanctified. The people were unclean. They weren't ready. So he says, fine, we're just going to practice on the second month. We're going to do Passover. And they're going to make a big deal on this. And it says in verse 16, And they, the priests and the Levites, stood in their place after their manner. According to the law of Moses, the man of God, the priest sprinkled the blood and which they received at the hand of the Levites. So there's so many people, so many sacrifices going on that the Levites are having to help kill the lambs and hand them over to the priest to sprinkle the, sprinkle the blood. So this is, part of it is because many of the priests did not sanctify, we're gonna read later on, that they, the priests did not come when Hezekiah called them. Remember, there's been decades out there. They're probably going, there's no, you know, I've got my business going on, I've got my farm, I've got my sheep, I've got my flocks, whatever it was they were doing, because their job was supposed to go to the temple on, during, their, during their two weeks, twice a year, be taken care of at the temple, then they'd go home and, and worship God and help people do it. But nobody's been worshiping God, so what did they do? They did the natural thing. I need to make a living. So they started businesses, they started farms, they started uh, taking care of flocks, and now Hezekiah is saying, hey, it's time to come to the temple and do your job. And we, like they, would have said, yeah, right. <laughs> now, I am not abandoning my job to go up there and be disappointed again. Now, we, we, Grandpa did this, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it doesn't really tell us how long ago, but decades before, you know, they abandoned us. We have not been getting our tithes and offering. We have not been supported by the people. There is no way I'm giving up my job to go you know, for this thing that nobody's going to come to. And it says they were confounded. They're like, oh, look at all these people that are here. What a beautiful revival that's going on. And we're going to find out how great this revival is as we go on here. This is, this is a really big revival. People are turning to God in the droves. And I don't know how this happened, why it happened, but Hezekiah had in his heart, we are going to worship God. Not just me, but the nation is going to worship God. And he calls the people and they respond. You know, they go through Jerusalem and say, all these, let's see all these idols and, and get rid of them. And it's not like, you know, there's nothing in there that says Hezekiah said, go get rid of the idols. People just see these idols and they start tearing them down. And this is wonderful. And, you know, and it's a great place for them to be. And it said that uh, they, they sprinkled the land you know, on the hand and says, verse 17, for there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore, the Levites had charge of killing the Passover for everyone that was not clean and sanctified them to the Lord. So what was this? This is kind of an interesting statement. They're not doing the Passover exactly the way God said. 
all right? Tradition isn't being completely followed. And I love what Hezekiah is going to do here because he's saying God is seeking for obedience to him. And this has been said, Samuel said it to Saul, does God want sacrifice or obedience? When, when Saul said, we kept some of, the, some of the livestock of the Amalekites so that we could give, them, give sacrifices and says, God told you to kill everything and you weren't obedient. God is looking for people's heart to seek after him. Will we necessarily seek after God completely the way he wants it to be done? Not at first, not until we get to know him, not until we get to where we want to be. But God is seeking for us just to say, God, I love you so much that I want to do something for you. And God will bless that desire. Now, I've heard many people, well, I don't know what to do for God. Do something. Just start doing something and let God lead. And he will fill your words. He will fill your actions. He will guide and lead. Uh, during the Jesus movement in the, in the 70, 60s and 70s, people were doing crazy things. You know, there was some of the songs they came out were really bizarre songs, you know, and, and you listen to them and go, wow, all right, these guys were just loving Jesus. Some of the things they did were really strange, but they were loving Jesus and just doing. But there were all kinds of things going on. What is going on with people as they serve God? And they choose to serve God in the ways that, that they are. And, in, you know, this is something we need to be, you know, very careful as we go forward. In verse 18, for the multitude of people, even many from Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, but they did eat the Passover, otherwise than is ridden. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, the good Lord pardon every one. So here we have people from Benjamin, people from Judah, and these other tribes that are out there that were, were coming to God from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun, these northern kingdoms were coming to worship God. Now they had not cleansed themselves, they had not gone to the temple to have a, a sin sacrifice made for them, but they did come to worship God. And Hezekiah looks around and says, okay, they're not doing it perfectly, but they want to worship God. And his prayer is a simple one. The good Lord pardon everyone. He understood they may not be doing it the right way, but he understood that God would still love his children for the right, right attitude. He understood the liberty of worshiping God. He wasn't bound up in all the rules and regulations that, that were pla placed in there. And you know what? God isn't totally bound up in all the rules and regulations. Now, there are things that are sin, but he's looking for people to say, I want to obey God. I want to seek God and be able to follow after him. Now, there's all kinds of things. There, you know, there's probably good ways to follow God and better ways to follow God. Should they have been obedient to all the ways that God said to do it? Yes, they probably should have. But these are people, especially the guys from the northern kingdom, they haven't worshipped God in their entire life. And their fathers and their grandfathers had not worshipped God in their entire life. 
And now they're down saying, we want to obey God. We want to come and worship God because we are Jews. We are supposed to be recognizing Passover, the deliverance of Israel from, from Egypt. Now, we don't quite know how to do this, but we're going to come down and we want to worship God. And Hezekiah is looking and saying, God, we may not be doing it right, but forgive. Forgive us for not doing it completely right. And in this case, there were right ways to do it. God said you had to do this this way. You had to be sanctified. You had to be righteous. But they're having people that are coming that have not worshipped God for generations. And Hezekiah says, God will pardon you. And verse 20 says, And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. <clears throat> I love this. His prayer was, God, we're not doing things right, but, but pardon the people. They came here to worship you, God. They may not be doing it exactly right. And it says, God heard that prayer. Because God could have said, you guys are not doing it right. I'm striking you dead. <clears throat> and that could have been very much the direction that he took. But it wasn't what he did. It says, God heard the prayer of Hezekiah. And not only did he hear, hear, hear it, he healed the people of their diseases, of their, of their sin. He healed the people. And this is so important. There are, there are many people that say, well, if you don't do, come to Jesus in just this way, then you're not saved. Well, you know what? The only thing I know that Jesus says, if you call him Lord and accept his sacrifice, that's all it takes. It can be as simple as help me, God knowing that I need something. It can be as formal of, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, would you come into my life and save me? And it could just be, I need your help, God. I, I don't even know what to do. You know, that, I, that moment when we admit that we are not enough and we go, God, I need your help, and we mean it, is the moment that we are going to be saved. And I've met many people who go, I didn't know what to say. All I did is call out to God and say, I need his help. And I know he came into my life. And that's really all it takes. This is why people can get saved without even knowing the gospel message as we know it. Because all they've got to do is recognize, I cannot get to God. I cannot please God. I need God's help. And God will say, you've done what I need. You've recognized that you're a sinner, that you are lost, that you cannot reach me. And now God will bring in the right way to, to commit, commit to them to know who, who it is there to follow and how to follow. But this is why we can't judge somebody and say, well, they're lost. I don't know if somebody's lost or not. I don't know if you know, they're falling down that cliff. Did they say, God, I need help. I'm, I'm in trouble and actually mean it or, or not. That is between them and God. And we need to be very careful about how we look at others. Hezekiah is saying, God, forgive them, pardon them. And it says, God listened and did this. Verse 21, And the children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the Passover, uh, kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the pr priest praised the Lord God by day, singing with a loud with loud instruments unto the Lord. And Hezekiah spake comfortably unto the Levites and taught the, that taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. And the whole assembly took counsel to keep 
other seven days, and they kept other seven days with gladness. So here we have them. This takes us into a little more of our knowledge. On Passover, Passover is followed with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That is where they do not eat any unleavened bread for seven days or till the next Passover, uh, next, uh, excuse me, next Sabbath. So they're having Passover. Now they're doing the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And all of this is going on. And during this period of time, the Levites and the priests are praising God. They're singing. They're playing instruments. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. David had set up that in the temple, the priest would be singing and playing music 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There was groups of people that praised God with, with godly music. And during this period of time, they're back to doing it. I can imagine what that would be like going into the temple and music playing. I would have no idea what their music was like or anything, but they had music going on. They played the psalms. They were, they were playing instruments. And I love the way they say loud instruments. I always think it's funny when, I, when a traditional church is leaving from piano and going into worship with guitars and drums and everything, and people go, well, the music's too loud. It's, you know, well, you have not read your Bible. God says to praise him with the stringed instruments, the drums, the cymbals, the tambourines. I go, I have no problem with that. Now, I do believe they have to be played respectfully and, and with worship. But God is saying, bring all that into it. Bring the instruments into play. And I have no problem with instruments being used. But I would love to have a band in here. It would be nice. So they, after all of this, they're, they're making all this music, and Hezekiah is is speaking comfortably, he's encouraging the Levites, and the Levites are teaching, teaching God's word in, in the temple. And it says they ate for the seven days, and, and now they're making peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God of their fathers. So now they're making the rest of the offerings. right? Peace offerings were the offering where people brought in an offering for between them and God, and the about a quarter of it was burnt before God, about, about a quarter of it went to the, to the priest, and half of it went back to the person making the offering, and they had to eat it within 24 to 48 hours, depending on the reason that they were doing it. So they would basically end up having a party saying, hey, I've got this, I've got half a, half a bullock here that we have to eat. Come on, people, come and, come and enjoy this offering that I made to God. And they're making confession, and they're making sacrifices, and they're and they're getting forgiveness and everything. And there's a huge revival going on. And people are saying to God, God, we want to worship you. We're wanting to do these things. And we're seeing a great revival during this seven-day period. And then it says in verse 23, And the whole council the whole, and the whole assembly took counsel together for another seven days. And they kept another seven days with gladness. So they're continuing worshiping God for another seven days. Yeah, I've, I've always dreamed of something like this where you just cannot get rid of people from church because everybody is saying, we're going to keep worshiping, we're going to keep worshiping, we're going to keep worshiping. Now, we're getting closer and closer to it in our church. You know, Sunday morning, it's getting harder and harder to get people to leave. But can you imagine we get done worshiping and people go, no, let's sing some more. We just want to sing some more. Let's, let's keep singing. Let's have, another, let's have another message. Let's have another, let's sing another song. Let's, let's do this. 
I've always really gone, God, wouldn't it be wonderful for that to happen? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have people say, more? We want more. And this is what's going on under Hezekiah's revival. They're worshiping God. They're spending the time in the, te- in the temple. The Levites are teaching them. They're offering sacrifices. All of these things are going on. And they go, seven days is not enough. We want, we want another seven days. What a blessing. This, and this is what she tells us. This is a revival going on. This isn't just people, oh, well, we're putting up with this. This is a revival that is changing people's hearts. And when we see these kind of revivals go on, is an amazing thing when people are just excited about God. And they just can't get enough of God. And so much in, in, out there. You know, how excited are people about God? That he becomes the topic of their conversation when they come together. And I don't know, there's no way to force that. It has to be a natural thing. And what God will do in our church, I have no idea. But I expect some form of revival in our church where people are going, I just can't get enough of God. We need more of what God is giving us. Home Bible studies, whatever whatever it works out to be, that people say, we just want more. We want more of whatever it is that God has got for us. They have a 14-day Passover celebration, well, unleavened bread celebration. What a beautiful event that is happening in their, in their life. Verse 24, And Hezekiah, king of Judah, did give the congregation a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep. And the prince gave the congregation a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep. And a great number of priests sanctified themselves. And all the congregation of Judah with the priests and the Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel that dwelt in Judah rejoiced. So there was a great joy in Jerusalem, for since that time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there has not been the like in Jerusalem. Then the priest and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. So Hezekiah is seeing what's going on. And remember, there's a lot of people there that are far from home. He's got... Zebulun and, and uh, Manasseh and all these places. He's got people from, from Judah, Benjamin. And remember, this was not something where you could just travel. A, a, a day's journey, if you did 20 miles in a day, you'd gone a, a long day. So if you lived more than 20 miles from Jerusalem, there was no way you were going back home anytime soon. And most of these people had left home, left their jobs, left their flocks, left whatever, and came to Jerusalem and they had little to, little to offer, little to eat, little. And all of a sudden, this one-day event, this or unleavened bread seven days, is now turning into two weeks. And Hezekiah sees what's going on, and he gives them a great big offering to say, okay, we need to feed these people. He gives them a 1,000 bullocks and 7,000 sheep just from his own herds. That's quite a gift. Now, I don't know how many people 7,000 bull, bull, uh, bullocks and 7,000 sheep will feed, but I'm sure it'll feed a number of people. Uh, and if that wasn't enough, the princess said, okay, we'll give 1,000 bullocks. So that is 2,000 uh, cattle. That's a lot of cattle. 
uh, that's a lot of cattle, and 17,000 sheep. That's enough to feed a lot of people for quite a while. And this is what God says, you all are worshiping me. We're going to bring a blessing back to you. And you know, this is the wonderful thing. When we choose to obey God, God brings a blessing in ways that we can't even figure out. Can you imagine being one of these people? You've just traveled three or four days to get to Jerusalem. You had enough food to get to Jerusalem, maybe get through your seven days and go back for two or three days. And now all of a sudden you're going through a two-week celebration and you don't want to leave. And you're saying, God, I want to worship you. I want to be here. How am I going to, how am I going to live? And the king and the princes provide food for you. And God is saying, here is your gift. How many times in your life have you said, God, I'm going to honor you when it makes no sense to do so? God, I'm going to give you this offering that makes no sense. I can't figure out how I'm going to live without this money, but I'm going to give it to you. God, I don't know how I can get by if I give you this much time. You know, whatever it might be that God's asking you to do. These people probably were in the same place. All right, the king's saying, you know, the people are saying we're going to have another two weeks, another, another seven days. How am I going to live for seven days? Because when the decision was made, they didn't know that the king was going to give, give them supplies. They didn't know the princes were going to give them supplies. They stepped out by faith to honor God. And this is the good news for us. When we step out by faith, God will be there. Now, you know the story of the widow, the widow who gave the two mites, and Jesus says she's given more than all the people that gave because she gave all. Now, I've shared this before. When I get to heaven, you know, one of the people I want to go see is the widow, the widow who gave the two mites. I want to find out the rest of the story. I don't think she went home and died. That's not the way God normally works. You know, when you reach out and touch him, he brings a reward. I'm really curious, what reward did she get for giving all that she had? Did she go home and find a basket of food outside her, outside her uh, door? You know, did neighbors show up and give her stuff? I really want to know. I don't really expect that the answer is, well, I died that night of hunger, or I died that week of hunger. I don't think that's the end of her story. But because God always blessed his people for their diligence and their obedience. Now, do we do these things to honor, that honor God out of trying to manipulate? Well, God, pastor said that if I do this, you're going to bless me. Well, if that's your reason for doing it, you're not going to get blessed. We have to have the heart attitude for doing it the right way. I've shared with people before, when we love others, people tend to love us back and do nice things back to us. Well, I've had people go, well, I tried it. It didn't work. Well, if you're not doing it for the right reason, of course it doesn't work. When we're just loving people, it doesn't matter what they do in return. The good news is, if I'm honestly trying to love people, regardless of what they do or don't do, most of them are going to love me back. When I forgive people, most people are going to forgive me back. Will everybody do it? No. There's no such thing as an everybody. You know, there's not a rule that says, well, you love it, and everybody's going to love you back. If people feel like they're being manipulated, they're not going to respond. It has to be real. It has to be genuine. 
and say, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to forgive this person. It really doesn't matter what they do in return. I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to forgive them. And again, most of the time, you're going to get it back. And if you don't, it didn't matter anyway because you weren't trying to manipulate them. And I've had many people, well, it didn't work, Pastor. You, you, said, you said this happened. I'm going, well, then you were doing it for the wrong reason. I want to reach out and touch people, not because I want them to be nice to me. I want them to be kind to me. I, I just want to be showing them God's love and care. And here we see the princes and the king taking care of the people who had been there now, going, moving into their second week, plus whatever travel time it was. And it says, Then the congregation of Judah and, with the priests and the Levites and all the congregation that came out of Israel and the strangers that came to the land of Egypt and dwelt in Judah rejoiced. Strangers, foreigners. This is a wonderful thing. At this point in time, they were not keeping the Gentiles from worshiping in the Passover. I love this because that's the way it was always supposed to be. When you read the book of uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, God kept saying, these are the rules for you and for the strangers that dwell in your land. God was never telling them, uh, Israel, this is for you and just ignore the rest of the people and don't bring them in. He goes, this is for you and everybody in your land. Hezekiah said, everybody, you want to come and worship God? Get on down here and worship God. We don't care who you are. We don't care what you've done. We don't care. You want to worship God? We want you worshiping God. I love this. You know, all these people that going, that would later on not be accepted in the temple when they get to Jesus' day, if you weren't a Jew, you weren't allowed anywhere near the temple. You couldn't go beyond the, the gate of the women. You could not go into where the worship was going on. You could not offer a sacrifice if you weren't a Jew, either by birth or by proselyting, which means to become, a, become one. You weren't allowed to worship God. Hezekiah says, I want, I want everybody. You want to worship God? Come on in. I love this. He was saying just what God said. God created all people. And God wants all people to come and worship him. And this is the beautiful thing. This is one of the reasons that racism is such a bad thing is because God created all people. And we all are related. doesn't matter what color our skin is because Adam and Eve were the father and mother of everybody. And at the flood, Noah and Mrs. Noah, who we don't know her name, became, became, became the mother and father of all, all people as well. So we've got all these people that have at least four family members that we know of. We all are part of the same family. And to reject other people just because of nationality or skin color is very foolish because we're all created in the image of God. And the Bible does not support racism. Now, God does say don't be unequally yoked. And that has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with are you a follower of Jesus or not? All right? So if two people are the Christian are Christians, then they are not unequally yoked. They are perfect for each other. Well, they are perfectly able <laughs> to be right with for each other. But if they're a saved and unsaved person, they're unequally yoked. And it doesn't matter how good they think they're going to get along together, they should not get married. And this is the most important thing about this. Hezekiah is saying, come on down. It's time to worship. 
You're, you're a stranger. You're a foreigner. Come on down and worship. We're, we're, we're opening this up. God wants worship from all people. And we need to do the same thing in our churches. Be willing to say, come on in. It doesn't matter. Come on in and worship. And one of my problems in our day and age is, you know, racism is coming back in great, great vengeance now, except now I have to say you're important because you're some other race. Instead of saying that you're equal and that we're all equal to each other, now we're supposed to say that these people are more important because they, because they have a different skin color or a different nationality or different, different ethnic background or different sin. And so I have to say you're, you're more important than everybody else. And that is not what God wants. You know, he wants the true relationship to come together where we see each other as human beings. Not white, black, purple, orange, yellow, green. I don't care what color it might be. God is saying we are equal because we are children of Adam and Eve. And this is what's important here. And, and here Hezekiah is recognizing that. He calls the strangers in as well. And it says everyone is rejoicing. I would have loved to have been there. See the rejoicing that was going on as everybody is following God and saying, we want to obey God. Verse 26, so, so there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had not been the like in Jerusalem. This was referring back when the temple was, was built and, and Solomon declared the Passover in, in, in Jerusalem and they had just the same thing, a two-week celebration of the Passover or longer and everybody's there and Solomon just takes out of his flocks and feeds everybody and, and they have a great celebration. And before this time, Solomon's was the last big event that had happened in the, in the Passover where everybody is worshiping. And the one thing I remember about this one is strangers were allowed and it doesn't really say that strangers were allowed in Solomon's day, but they had a big event because the entire nation was brought together and there was a big excitement. The temple had been built. And here the temple has been reopened and the people are excited and they're worshiping God. And it says there had not been a day like this since Solomon's day. And Solomon's was a big event. And, and here we have, and it says verse 27, then the priest and the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even to heaven. The priests are saying the people were blessed. They're blessing the people. They're giving benedictions to the people and saying, you are blessed. Blessed be the Lord God whom you're following. I love this whole picture. People are excited about God. They want God. They're coming to God, even those who may not normally belong in their, in their, in their realm as far as they're concerned, are coming to God and the priests are pronouncing blessings. And people are getting excited about God. They're tearing down the altars in Jerusalem. They're worshiping God. They're, they're following the, un, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They're, they're committing themselves to God and they're being blessed. And the Levites and the priests are ministering to the people the way they're supposed to. And God is being lifted up. And the good news about all of this is this is, well, at this point, 30 days 
since Hezekiah has taken the kingdom? 30 days. This revival happens quickly. It's not something that he says, all right, we're going we're gonna to prepare, a, we're going to take and prepare for a year, a year and a half, two years, and all of a sudden we're going to have this great revival. He tells the Levites, get this place clean, get, get yourself sanctified, and it took them 16 days to get the temple open, and he goes, all right, well, we missed Passover, we're going to go next Passover, so another, another uh, like I said, 28 days, so we're two, almost 60 days out. Excuse me, I missed, I missed the extra Passover. <laughs> uh, so he's between, between uh, 30 to 60 days out, and they're worshiping God with a great revival. This wasn't something they planned. It wasn't something they bought off. This was a revival that flowed from God. And all great revivals come from God. People pray for revival. We want revival. And when God moves, revival hits. People have looked at the various great revivals and said, what caused them? God. Plain and simple. God moved. There were people, there were leaders who responded and were ready to take what, what was going on. But God moved and things happened. And this is the beautiful thing about revivals. We've been praying for revival, and I hope that one day we just walk in and God moves. And I'm, I'm waiting for it. We're praying for it. I don't want to see the day that he just moves. And who knows what that means? Who knows how that will happen? I'm looking forward to the day when he just moves and, and we don't in for a day. We don't in for 24 hours, three weeks. I don't care what it is. I'm looking forward to the day that God says this is what's going to happen and we are going to be in a revival and see what God does. And you know the one thing I do know? God doesn't do the same thing twice usually. He does things different. So I can't even look back at old revivals and say, okay, God, what did you do in those old revivals? Uh, we just have to be ready to say, what is God going to do today? Why did Jesus heal so many different ways? Because he knows man's heart. You know, he knows if the way he healed the blind men was to put mud on their eyes every single time, then what would have happened? This is how you heal the blind. We stick mud in their eyes and pray for them. And God says, no, that's not what we do. He doesn't want us to do things a certain way just because. And this is why Jesus did things differently each time. One person he spoke, one person he spit in their eyes, one person he made mud, one person, you know, he, he just said, you're healed and walked away. You know, he did things differently with each person. And when he brings revival, we need to be ready to listen to God and watch his revival that he's going to bring. Because I have no idea what it is. All I know is, I can't make it happen. Nobody in this church can make it happen. God can make it happen. And I'm looking forward to whatever he does. I really am. I'm looking forward to the day when he does some great revival that's going to turn this town upside down. That's going to turn this county upside down. And maybe if we're really lucky, it'll turn the whole country upside down. Just like some of the other great revivals in our, in our, in our lifetime. Many of these revivals have started in small, insignificant places where people have just been praying for revival and watched what God has done. I'm looking forward to it. I want to see it. Hezekiah's revival is a big one. I'm not going to, well, I shouldn't call it his, but 
you know, he is the one that's responsible for calling it. It's God's revival. But it happened under Hezekiah's reign and his encouragement that God was opened up and say, we are going to serve God and come on out and follow him. Lord, we ask you just to bless this time. Lord, we know, number one and foremost, revival starts in your people. Humble us. Teach us to come before you and admit that we're sinners and conform and humble ourselves and watch what you will do in our lives toward others. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we expect revival to, to happen, and we're praying for it. And we thank you for the example of revivals in the scriptures. And we ask you to bless us as we go about your business this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church P.O. Box 65 Chloride, Arizona 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.